Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored in loving memory of Nathan Marcus, Leilui Nishmat, Natan Berachelava Shalom, sponsored by his grandson Gabby and Nathan Marcus. Anti Semitism is as old as the Jewish people itself. It is fascinating to note that the very first time the Jewish people are called a nation is in the same sentence as when Paro decides that he needs to get rid of them. Isn't that unbelievable? Paro says there's this nation. You know, their, 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 their uh, responsibilities, their preferences, their allegiances are to something else other than us. In a case of war, they're going to side with the enemy and side against us. They are, uh, they, they're, uh, they're devious. They're, uh, they're a problem. We need to come up with a solution to this problem. So the very first time they're called a nation, remember, they were first a family, first and foremost. And then after this experience of being a family, they're called a nation. In the same sentence that they're called a nation, there's already a desire to find a final solution to this problem. Let us outsmart them. And the plan unfolds from Paro to his ministers to attempt to first trick them, to uh, bring them into slavery, etc., etc. However, I would like to focus on what happens at this original meeting. The Gemara in Sota, on page 11, says, There were three people who were there at the time that Paro came up with this problem with this etza, with this solution. The first one was Bil'am, the second was Iyov, and the third was Yitro. Bil'am Bil'am gave them the idea to throw the babies in the river. He gave them the idea to go ahead with this nefarious plan. So what was Bil'am's punishment for such a, for such a deed? Neherag, he was killed. Iyov, Iyov was there as well. He refrained from speaking. He didn't think this was a good idea. But he, you know, he kept quiet. Because he kept quiet, he uh, got He got terrible, terrible punishments in his life. Yov suffered tremendously, lost everything that he had. Pushed really to the brink. Yitro, however, Yitro Shebarach, Yitro saw what was going on. He couldn't be in such a place, it was unconscionable. So he got up and left and ran out of the room. Shebarach, he ran away. What did Yitro merit? His great-great-grandchildren merited to be the ones that sat on the Sanhedrin in a room in the Beit HaMikdash called the Lishkat HaGazit, the place where the Sanhedrin would sit. Rabbi Haim Shmuelevitz asks the most amazing question. He says, I want to prove to you a logical point. At this stage that all this is occurring, do you think at this stage it was possible to change Paro's mind. Was this a foregone conclusion or not? Says Reb Haim Shmulevitz in a, a brilliant move, he says, if Iov kept quiet, right, and the only thing that happened to him was that he had Yisurin, that he wasn't killed, right, just for keeping quiet, clearly there was nothing he could have done. Because if he could have done something, then obviously keeping quiet would not have been enough, right? Is that obvious? He should, have run, like he should have run as well like Yitro. And if that's the case, so why is it that Iov 
is punished for being quiet. If anyway, there was nothing he could have done to change it. Isn't that a brilliant question? And he says something that's so powerful. <clears throat> he says something to me that's so powerful. He says, <clears throat> if that was, if, uh, uh, if, if a person finds themselves, and I'm just going to read you his words, and then I'll say the words to you in, in, uh, in their native tongue. <clears> Teva <throat> adamu, the nature of a person is such, when he feels a terrible pain, he yells. Even if his yelling will not achieve anything. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if you've ever been walking around in the dark in your room and your husband or your wife is sleeping already, and in the dark of night, you kick your foot into the corner of a bed. And you, you yell, ouch! Or other words that I can't say in this Bet Knesset. Right? In such a moment, you scream. Now, your pain doesn't get any less because you screamed or you shouted or you cursed. But your answer to me, if I ask you why you did that, or if I uh, wake up as your spouse and say, why are you yelling? Why are you screaming? Why are you making noise? You woke me up. What are you going to say? I stubbed my toe. I'm sorry. So could you imagine your spouse says to you, look, I get that you stubbed your toe, but it didn't help that you yelled. So why'd you have to yell? What's the answer? I didn't yell on purpose. I didn't yell because I wanted to yell. I yelled because when it hurts, you yell. The briskerov used to say in Yiddish, when it says, when something hurts you, we scream. So you know what the claim against Iyov was for remaining quiet? Not that he could have done something about it. The claim against the Yov was, it obviously didn't hurt enough if you didn't make any noise. That's what he's punished for. And that's the midah keneged midah. If it didn't hurt enough, the midah keneged midah, the punishment, the, uh, the recompense for such a situation is to feel pain. And that's what happens with Yov in his own, in his personal life. Rabbutai, to me, this speaks volumes. You know, Number one, on the first side, we find a Mishnah in Avot that seems to say the exact opposite. You know, we have this limud, this idea that our rabbis teach us that says, Kishem lomar davara nishma, just as it's a mitzvah to say something that can be heard, let's say you go to someone and you give him a little bit of rebuke. You tell the guy, you know, you really shouldn't speak in the Beit Knesset, it's not appropriate, this is the house of Hashem. You, you know, you speak to the guy, you tell him off. Kishem shem mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to give him tochacha, to give him a rebuke. Kach mitzvah. So continues the Ma'amar Chazal. So too is it a mitzvah. Lo lomar, not to say, davar she'en onishma. Something that can't be heard. You have someone who's incapable of hearing your words. So the halacha is, it's a mitzvah not to say to him tochacha, not to say rebuke to him. Why? Because he can't hear it anyway. All your rebuke is going to do, if the point of the rebuke is to change him, all the rebuke is going to do is what? It's going to get him angry. And if, the, in that, if that's the case, you've achieved nothing. If, the, if, if that is also true, then how does that jive with what we would just learn from Haim Shemulevitz in the name of the Briskorov? How do we learn? How do we learn that this is true? That Yov is punished because when it hurts, you yell something. If anyway, it wasn't going to help. I think what we're communicating here 
is not a reasoned response, not a calculated or calibrated response, but a natural response. There are certain times when we feel like, you know what, if I say something, it's not going to be understood. If I say something, no one's going to hear it. If I say it, and you know what, and that's sometimes true. And in fact, it's a mitzvah, it says to... But there's certain things that are so painful when we witness them. Certain breaches in the community, certain things that people will do or say against religion. That if you stay quiet, it illustrates a lack or a callousness towards that thing. And in such a case, a person needs to uh, emote in a natural way and say something and speak up. Because at a certain stage, if you could remain quiet, then it seems or it sounds or it implies that you don't care as well. Rabotai, I want to share that this idea is also true, not just with regards to religious observance and standing up for it, but also with regards to things that happen uh, within our own families. You have a child who's in school, and the child is feeling that they're being bullied or being pushed around by somebody else. You know, and you want to go to the school and you want to speak to the school and the kid says, no, please don't speak, you're going to make it worse. Don't speak to them, don't speak to them. Or there's a fight between two people in the family and you know what, neither side is going to listen, neither side is going to, you know, is going to change, etc. And the re your reaction is, you know what, I can't say anything. You know why? Because if I say something, it, it, then no one's going to listen. They're not going to hear it. Still, even in such a case, and maybe perhaps sometimes there's a place for being quiet. But when something hurts so much, how could you not say something? How could you not emote? How could you not cry? How could you not scream? How could you not sit there and say to two brothers that don't want to hear it, this is not the way it's supposed to be? However hard it is, we have to figure out something. Maybe with a little bit of sensitivity to each side so neither one thinks you're coming down on them for being petty because no one ever feels petty in their own fights. But maybe perhaps to speak to the heinous nature of the crime in the situation of Paro. Or maybe to speak to the, uh, to the idyllic or utopian ideal of what brothers could be to one another or should be to one another. Rabotai, when it hurts, we scream. If you see it, it says... If you see something, how does the adage go? Say something. Sometimes the response is, you see something not to say something. But if you see something and it hurts, how could you not say something? I think that's what we learned from this uh, ma'amar of, uh, of Paro. Baruch Amen, amen.